Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. You're in for a treat with this episode. For those of you watching, you might notice that my backdrop is a little bit different. Uh, I'm on the road right now and I'm actually at Charlie Snell's ranch in Redmond, Oregon. We're working on a future project and also preparing for the upcoming virtual clinic that is starting May 14th. And um, I thought it was fitting that we have this backdrop because Charlie is the reason that this podcast episode happened because he introduced me to Tammy Hardy. So I wanna tell you a little bit about Tammy. She's an accomplished horsewoman who had a complete career change at the age of 50 when she took her love of horses and combined it with her desire to help others into a new career helping trauma and abuse survivors with therapy with horses. I hope this conversation brings you inspiration and even more appreciation for these amazing creatures. I do want to note that in this conversation we do talk about some sensitive issues of trauma and abuse, so just know that going in. I hope you love the conversation. Welcome, Tammy. I'm really excited that you decided to join me on the podcast. And uh, I wanted to share with folks kind of how we got to meet, which we haven't actually met in person yet, but uh, how we got to talk on the phone. Uh, We have a mutual contact with Charlie Snell, and I was down at Charlie's telling him a little bit about my story. And he said, oh my gosh, have you met Tammy? And I, I hadn't. And he said, you need to meet her. You're, you have similar uh, backgrounds and I think you'll really enjoy her. And so um, I got your phone number and gave you a call and we had a really wonderful visit. And then you started sharing more about what you do and the things that you were sharing with me, I thought were so fascinating. I just started this podcast and I was like, oh, this would be great. Would you be willing to do this? And it took us a while to connect but um, that's kind of how we met. So thank you for being here. Um, So I want to just dive in and um, find out a little bit about your story that got you to where you are now. So how did you, how'd you get started with horses? Pretty much I've had horses my whole life. Started off uh, as a kid, my dad had horses. We had them on and off through most of my childhood until I was a teenager And then, um, of course, I insisted that we have a horse and had a whole journey of uh, horses and 4-H and and that whole program. I got into horses pretty heavy, pretty quickly. Um, Didn't really have a lot of involvement from my family. And I kind of got hooked on horses was my kind of escape and my uh, sanity. And got involved in 4-H and showing and, you know, fast forward a lot of years later, um, horses were always a part of my life and rode competitively for a lot of years, all through youth. And then in the non-pro and the amateur, mostly in the Appaloosas and then got switched over to quarter horses as an adult. And, um, just my whole life always revolved around that, uh, fast forward in my forties, um, I experienced domestic violence uh, at about the time uh, I had, I started was starting with a young horse and she really saved my life. It was really um, an interesting time in my life. And one of those where you're like, how does somebody like me um, be assaulted like that by a domestic partner? and uh, really got an awareness of how prevalent domestic violence is. And um, I really got to look at that point at at my relationship with my horse and things weren't working there either. And got got involved with or got introduced to natural horsemanship in the strangest kind of way at the most interesting time in my life. So there began my journey of more natural horsemanship, whereas previously it was always the traditional kind of horse training and riding and 
uh, been showing, and I had been pretty successful doing it the uh, the traditional way, but you can you could only go so far, and um, through this interesting opportunity for me to learn about natural horsemanship, I got involved in that and studied it extensively. Uh, also helped to heal my trauma and got me through my divorce and on a totally different path. So kind of two two ways of getting to um, to horses and how they really were instrumental in my healing and my in my journey. Um, I had some incredible experiences once I got to natural horsemanship. I had a little horse that you couldn't win a fight and um, you couldn't make her do anything. I mean, she was, and I, and I still have her. She's 23 this year. Wow. But her and I started on this amazing journey of horsemanship. And I started with Pirelli and then went on to study all, basically all of them to some extent and then ended up, um, there's a whole fun story about how I got introduced to the extreme cowboy race, but we were uh, invited to, to compete in one of the televised races and went to Craig Cameron's ranch in Texas and competed in uh, one of his extreme cowboy races. I was one of the few women invited and the only non-professional, you know, the only one who wasn't a professional horse trainer that competed. And it was my first exposure to that. And uh, we come away the highest place in women ever in one of his races. Wow. And um, me on a little 14 hand quarter horse mare. At, I think I was 44 years old against these young cowboys and other uh, horse training professionals. So. Oh, there are women all over listening to this going, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> it, it was pretty incredible and pretty amazing. And I think they were all pretty surprised the first day of the competition nobody paid attention to the few women that were there and after the first round um the other gal and I were first and second and the judge the judges called the whole group together and um, basically lectured the guys on you know you need to slow down and you need to pay attention here because the women are he didn't say it that way but basically the cowgirls are kicking your butts you know <laughs> and uh course they didn't they didn't change anything they went about it the second round the same way they did in the first round and so then I won the second round and uh, we had to rope I'd never roped before and we had to shoot off the horse I'd never done that either wow and uh we did all that and um had an amazing um the final round was just four so we started with 16 we went to eight and then the final round was four and there were two women in the final round. And I don't think any of them really were like, what, what just happened here? Right. <laughs> you know, it is the extreme cowboy race. Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. What so that was a, a pretty good test of the partnership and the relationship that I had built since I uh, learned about and learned natural horsemanship. So learned, um, a ton there and got this amazing partnership with my horse and, Afterwards, a number of the cowboys came over to me one-on-one -on -one and they'd say, what's your trick? My, my trick to that. Mm -hmm. and it's like the trick is the relationship. Right. It's not a trick. It's the relationship. Right. They're like, well, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm like, well, it doesn't take as much time as you might think. Right. And this is what you get as a result of it. Right. It's not something you do. It's not a one-off thing. It's, it's how you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, pretty amazing. That is really amazing. And I just want to interject. Um, and I think I have this correct. So uh, quite a few of the folks that listen to this um, are familiar with Pirelli. Maybe they've studied it. And um, a few years back at the Savvy Conference, which is a big, you know, celebration at Pat and Linda's, you were invited um, to come to the Savvy Conference and do a, a performance. Is that spot correct? Spotlight. Yeah. A spotlight. And you, you blew the crowd away. I remember, I remember you from that because you came in, you were all decked out in your, you know, Western show gear. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. And you came and did this bridalless, was it a raining pattern? A raining pattern. Yeah. It was Spending. like 
Wow. And so there might be people that were at that event that are listening to this. So I just wanted to, you know, interject that, that that was you. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that too, but um, yeah. So I had done a bunch of Pirelli, the little play days and um, we had done phenomenal at those play days. And I think they had given like awards for, and whatever the top award is, I got the award above that because I did everything bridalist and, uh, and at Liberty. And they that original savvy conference was scheduled for the bridalist and liberty was the first um kind of one that they had like that and so um i had reached out to linda pirelli and and um said hey i'm coming it'd be just as well i bring my horse and it had been such a success i had done a spotlight at our local competition and just blew everybody away and and um a number of the Pirelli professionals were like, Linda, you need to let Linda know about this. And we're going to talk to Linda about this. So I ended up with an invite to bring my horse and do that. And I think I was the only non-Pirelli professional. You were. Yeah. And that had been asked to come. And um, so I did a reining pattern, spins and rollbacks and sliding stops, all bridalist. Yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. You kind of brought the house down. Yeah, pretty amazing. And the unfortunate part of it was they didn't video it. Oh no. So I did I did not end up if anyone out there has it, I'd love to see it, but they didn't um they didn't somehow they had a technical issue or something with the filming that day and so okay. they did it on video. Okay. Well, I bet I bet somebody listening may have videoed. Um so maybe that that'll be a cool uh bonus for you doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was the highlight of my whole Pirelli um, experience. And we had gone to the ranch and spent two weeks there. Um, and that was just an amazing experience. I I like to refer to it as marriage counseling with your horse. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Or summer camp combination too, but we had a fabulous time at those two weeks. I had took a couple friends with me we took horses and it was an amazing experience. And then that, that spotlight was really like, uh, the finale of that whole Pirelli experience. Right. That's really cool. So we crossed paths there. Um, but we just didn't meet cause I was, I was there. Uh, yeah. 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 And now it's time for a short commercial break. One of my favorite things about getting to do this podcast and the virtual learning opportunities I create is getting to know and work with a variety of wonderful horsemen and women. On May 14th, there's an opportunity for you to do the same when Charlie Snell's virtual clinic called Letting Go of Trouble comes your way. It's a two-week clinic designed to help you teach your horse to change their thought, be present with you, and let go of tension. Charlie is a special horseman with a -a one-of-a-kind background and perspective on horses. Learning with him is an opportunity I hope you'll seize. But I also understand that sometimes it's hard to jump into a clinic without really knowing someone. So we're providing an opportunity for you to sample three of the lessons from the clinic for free. There's a link to do that in the details below. We hope you'll join in. And now back to the conversation with Tammy. now you're, you know, you've delved into this world of using your horses, um, for therapy. Um, how did that, how did that come to be? (laughs) You know, there's been a lot of divine intervention in this whole, um, journey. And I had been, I volunteered for, with a therapeutic riding program, a local program here, because I wanted to volunteer and do something that made a difference. I had previously been um, done some volunteer work as a, in, in our county, spent some time on the planning commission, and that was really a thankless job. And I did six years of that. And, and after that, I said, you know, if I'm going to spend my time, my unpaid time doing something, I want it to be meaningful and powerful for me. And so a friend reached out and said, hey, why don't you... I told her I was interested in finding something like that. And and so I got introduced to our local therapeutic riding program, got involved with uh, the teens at risk and some of the kids from the kids center who are kids that have been sexually assaulted or molested. And in the therapeutic riding uh, 
arena, so to speak, and was recognizing that the horses were offering some things in addition to the riding. And I had a kiddo, I think she was six or seven. She might've been five or six, but had been molested by her grandpa. And I'm not supposed to know that, but I figured it out. I mean, they don't, they don't share those details, but I knew she had been referred from the kids center and she had been assigned a, a big paint horse gelding. And I could tell that she'd been abused in some way, but I, I wasn't sure what it was exactly. And this gelding um, would not stay out of her personal space. He had his nose all over her. He was always trying to kind of nibble on her. And, and at first I'm like, geez, give this kid a break. You know, mm -hmm. she's been through a lot. I didn't know the details at the time. And then I stepped back and realized it's like, he's giving her some opportunities to um, protect her personal space. Interesting. And so I started talking to her in that language of, we need to keep him out of your personal space. Nobody's allowed to be that close. You know, this is mm -hmm. our, our space and, and, and describe to her about our personal space and boundaries. And that's okay to, to tell him to stay out of that. And so taught her how to keep him out of her personal space and talked mm -hmm. about it in that way. And a little timid in the beginning, but I would just reinforce that and show her. And we did that over and over and over again, every time she wrote, she was super timid and um, wouldn't hardly speak up. And so we get her on the horse and I would, um, I was helping her, but I was also leading her in the class. And when she would get ready and get saddled and get mounted, and then I'd say, ask him to walk on, like, that's what we did. But if he wouldn't, she would just whisper it and he would just like stand there and I could have just let him off. But instead I'd like, no, say it like you mean it, you know, mm -hmm. teaching her to be assertive and to speak up. And so in time she got to speaking up. And then when she would speak up, he would actually, would actually walk. Mm -hmm. And so the end of that 10 weeks, that horse had taught her how to keep someone out of her personal space and to define her personal space and teach her that it's okay to, to keep people out of your personal space and then for her to speak up. And so she, by the end, she would tell him walk and trot and whoa. And, um, and it allowed enough voice that she was assertive and that gelding then would do that when she, when she would do that. Right. So he taught her how to keep herself safe out of keep people out of your personal space and also how to be assertive. Now, if you hadn't been there, so the, the program that you were volunteering with at the time was therapeutic riding, yeah, right? Which is a little different than what you're doing now. Yeah. So very, is very that good. is that part of what caused you to go, oh, wait a minute, I, I can see here how I could be of service? Yeah, there's so much more that could be done because normally you just put the kid, you help the kid brush the horse, you tack the horse up, you put the kid on, you lead him around. Right. And right. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful, but in a different way. And so I saw that the horses were giving them, giving opportunities to do even more. And the same with the teens at risk group I work with, same kind of thing is there were lots of opportunities for them to do some other things other than ride. And um, I had been working in construction, which was my um, dream job for an amazing company. And um, while I was doing this volunteering and they were gracious enough to let me take Friday afternoons off so that I could be a part of this teens at risk program. And so I did. And then uh, that was back when the economy tanked and the housing market tanked and um, I had to leave that job. And um, the, moment, the, the day that I walked out the door when they shut, shut it down, shut that department down. I had been doing land development. When I walked out of the office that day, after I'd hugged everybody goodbye, they were like family. Uh, I walked out of there and I'm like, there's something else I'm supposed to do. I mean, it just hit me, mm. and, which was, which was very unusual for me. And, um, and I thought that's interesting. And so my, my joke was I was, I was 50. I was single, then unemployed. And Bunny was pregnant. My mare was pregnant. So I was 50, single, unemployed, and pregnant. <laughs> You're a catch. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. So uh, my company was gracious enough to give me a severance package. And so I went that Monday morning after I'd been let go on Friday. I went Monday morning and I found a career counselor and I said, 
50 single unemployed pregnant help me figure out how I can use my skills to support myself. And a great sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she's like, well, how long have you been unemployed? And I'm like, well, I don't know, three days. You know? <laughs> she's like, wow, usually people don't come find me till about a year. Right. You know, that the um, feeling sorry for themselves and, right. you know, being depressed and whatever. And I'm like, could we just skip that part and get right to the, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And, and right. so she put me through a bunch of tests, testing. And, and at the end she says, you need to work with kids and horses. And I said, do mm-hmm. I need to remind you that I'm single? <laughs> I was like, I don't have a rich husband to support me while I play with right. kids and horses. You know, I said, it, it doesn't pay. I can't live on that. And so she's like, well, go ask, healing reigns what if they had like an ideal situation what is it that they want and they had talked about a mental health program and she said we'd like someone with your extensive horse experience that was a therapist and I'm like yeah whatever you know so I went back and told the gal my gal that and she goes that's a great idea and I'm like do you forget I'm 50 and now you're talking about me going to grad school have you lost your mind you know I'm like no, that that's not. And she said, I want you to, she goes, I feel very strongly about this. And, uh, and she said, I want you to go talk to, to a couple of your friends and tell them this crazy idea and then come back to me and tell me what you think they think. So I did that. Of course, all my friends were like, Oh my God, that'd be perfect. And that you should do that. And, and I'm like, what, what an interesting thing to have for her to have you do. Like that's so insightful mm-hmm. because if it, if it was a terrible idea for you, you probably would have heard it from your friends. Yeah. No, they were all like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's I'm great. Like, have you all lost your minds? <laughs> right. Right. Is there a sane person in the house somewhere? <laughs> What's the matter with you people? I'm serious here, you know? And uh, so she goes, well, what else are you going to do with, with the economy being the way it is? She said, it'll be a couple of years till things come back. And if you do this graduate program, you'll have a degree at the end of that. And if you decide to do it, great. And if you decide to go back to what you were doing, you know, you have that option. But what are you going to do for two years? Right. Like, oh, well, you do kind of have a point there. So yeah. I'm like, well, great. We've got a program, but they only take 40% of the applicants. I'd have to get a student loan. And I still need a part-time job. You know, I mean, it's like, I, you know, I can't, I need to still live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's like, well, you know, let's, let's work on that. And at that time with the therapeutic writing program, they're like, if you've got time, we'll mentor you to, to get your certification to be a therapeutic writing instructor. And I'm like, that doesn't pay very much, but I thought, well, I'm not going to just sit around at home. And so I went through their program and then I got certified as a therapeutic writing instructor. And then I filled in as they had people that were gone and, you know, so it took volunteering to another level Mm -hmm. and it also gave me another credential. Right. So um, I applied to grad school. I applied for student loan. I applied for a part-time job and literally in a 10 day period, all that stuff came to be. It just like, so I'm like, well, maybe I am supposed to do this. That's so great. Yeah. So I was the oldest one in my cohort for grad school. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, but I knew that I specifically wanted to do equine assisted psychotherapy period. I mean, I had a really clear vision of where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And then I wanted to work with, with teenagers, teens at risk mm-hmm. and do it in the equine modality. And so, um, and so I did. That's so great. So I, I recently, um, in getting ready for this interview, I watched the, there was a local news uh, group that came and did a a report on your program, which is really, it's, it's a great video and I'll make sure there's a link if people are interested in watching it. Um, And you have a program where you're working with veterans and uh, specifically folks with PTSD is, is that the main part of what you do? You know, yeah. interestingly, it's not. I mean, trauma okay. is the focus of what I do. And I, I hadn't necessarily intended to do that, but um, funny how things work out. So yeah. the veteran thing is a whole separate um, program. I formed a nonprofit. It's called Central Oregon Wellness Ranch, or yeah, Central Oregon Wellness Ranch. And 
what I did is I developed a retreat. Um, it's a one day retreat and it's an integrative model that includes equine assisted psychotherapy, trauma informed yoga and battlefield acupuncture. And I got funding last year through the Oregon Health Authority and also funding through the VA, their adaptive sports program. And I partner with a neuropsychologist uh, and a naturopath. And so we do all those modalities in one day and they all kind of work together and it works very well with veterans who don't typically do well with traditional talk therapies or exposure therapy, which is what the VA likes to have them do. So this is a more hands-on um, experiential. Uh, we do equine therapy in the morning and it's in a group setting. So it's generally small groups of four to six veterans. We have separate men's groups from women's groups. And, and then we do a healthy lunch. And then after lunch, we do um, this trauma-informed yoga, which is taught by our naturopath. She calls it a primal yoga. It's just a gentle stretching uh, we tell the veterans it's cowboy stretching. Awesome. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. Uh, Cause otherwise they're not too interested in doing yoga. And we right. built, we built a yoga saloon. So it's a very non-traditional yoga space. Oh, and it looks like an old West sarsaparilla saloon. Oh, cool. So they're more likely to be able to do yoga or want to try yoga in a non-traditional kind of a setting. So it's a very manly space and uh, very non-yoga-like. Uh -huh. when, when the weather's permitting, we do the yoga and acupuncture on the lawn with a oh, beautiful, wow. incredible view of the mountains and surrounded by the horses. So okay. it's all very non-yoga-like. Uh -huh. And, uh, and then the battlefield acupuncture is a specific protocol of acupuncture developed by the military in Afghanistan, and they treat three points on the ear. It's done in a group, group setting, and we have uh, zero incline chairs that we set everybody down in, and then the, the needles are put in the ears, and then they sit for about 20 minutes, and then my naturopath takes the, the needles out. Wow. By the time they've completed all that, um, my favorite thing that one of the veterans said is by the time we get done, then we do a little kind of debriefing and check out, you know, and they're all laying in these zero incline chairs, like, and, uh, the guy said, one of my veterans says, he goes, um, that's better than Valium. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So then for these, these <laughs> folks, it's, it's one day, um, and uh, is there a place for them to go after? So if, if one of these modalities really works for them, are they able to like come back and work with you or? Yeah. So they can come back and do individual therapy through me, um, through the VA. I'm one of the VA providers. Oh, that's great. Um, we also connect them with this naturopath who's local and a number of them have um, done stuff with her since then. So great. Yeah. And then the yoga, I have a, of course, COVID kind of messed everything up in some yeah. way. As long as we could do things outside, we were good. Right. But what I did with the yoga was we did a Zoom yoga class. Um, I've got a gal, her dad's a Vietnam veteran, and she's specifically trained in um, teaching veterans yoga. There's a this whole trauma-informed piece is really important when it comes to the veterans and PTSD so that uh, we don't use words or or things that would trigger the PTSD. So it takes a very specific training. And can you, can you give an example of like, what would be a word that like, I'm not trauma trained, like that I might say that, um, that you wouldn't want to say. So some of it has to do with, um, a lot of it's like in person. So you would never come up to a veteran from behind them and touch them. Okay. You would lay out your room in such a way that you've got the ability to see around you. Um, you would never put their, their back to the door. Um, when it comes to the horses, um, if you're talking about a clip, well, a clip is, is, has a different meaning for the military. That's, that has to do with your clip on your gun. Right. You know, so th there, there are a, a whole, there's a whole training involved in being careful with your words, uh, how, how you go about things. You don't, um, like we had a, 
one day we were doing an equine session and a helicopter life flight flew over. Well, that's super triggering. Right. You know, so things you wouldn't necessarily think about. Um, so it's important that I work with professionals that have that specific training to understand how you deal with veterans. Right. So this gal not only has that training, but she teaches it. Um, she works through Connected Warriors uh, and a couple other veteran organizations that she trains yoga instructors. And then her dad is a Vietnam veteran. So it, we utilize very specific personnel when it comes to teaching um, the yoga. I've also got a Marine uh, that's one of my yoga, my in-person yoga instructors, and he's fabulous also. That's, that's so great. Yeah. So, so how, do, often, how often do you do the retreats? So um, usually we have one a month. Okay. Yeah. And I don't have funding this year. COVID has kind of screwed that up, but I will probably this fall be able to start up those um, one day retreats again. Okay. A little gap because of COVID, but generally once, once a month during, you know, the spring, summer and fall Right. Uh, okay. with COVID it, it's, it's impossible to do groups in the winter. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. So then you also do individual, so the, the, like you said, the veterans, um, it kind of came about, uh, and you know, it's a whole separate thing that you're doing. It's fabulous. Um, but then you've got this other, like your, your mainstay, like what you typically are doing day in and day out is one-on-one -on -one therapy for people. Yes. Yeah. So I have a private practice and that's called wellness through horses. Okay. And I typically see trauma clients. So I have 12 to 18 clients I see each week Wow. in an individual 90 minute sessions. So I do a little longer session than most um, therapists do. Um, mostly trauma, but I have um, survivors of domestic violence, a lot of survivors of sexual assault, um, many with childhood trauma. I've also got some clients on the autism spectrum um, and those clients are amazing because there's such an amazing connection they have with the horses. I've had unbelievable stuff happen and the horses do some things that, um, even with my history of horses, I'm always, I'm surprised and in a good way about mm -hmm. what happens with the autistic clients. Somehow those horses just know, unbelievably just know what those clients need and they provide it. And so is there, is there a, um, like a, a story that you could share? I don't know if you're able to do that, but yeah, I have, I have a ton of them, but I have a short one that I'll share. Okay. Um, uh, childhood trauma on the autism spectrum, pretty highly functioning, um, but has also been sexually assaulted and, um, a young woman, well, young, young adult, she's in her late twenties. And I've been working with her quite a bit. A lot of the traditional therapies just aren't effective with autistic. They have a lot of trouble with connection and yes. social anxiety. And they have a hard time with, um, making eye contact. Um, talking is not their favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I got her through a referral from a group that works with a lot of kiddos with autism. And I had had some previous clients that they referred and we had a lot of success with. So she got referred and I've been working with her quite a bit and we've got made quite a bit of progress, but she'd come one day, she'd been triggered. Um, she was driving home from work and the exhaust from the bus, that smell reminded her of the smell of a man that had raped her. So she's triggered on the way home. Of course, she calls me. I say, come right over. Um, and I do a scaling when I meet with all my clients, zero to 10, uh, zero being none, 10 being worst ever. Where's your anxiety? Of course, she's like a 20, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just way over the top. So I'm like, okay, let's just get right out to the horses. And I said, so what horse do you want to work with today? She's like, I want to work with pistol. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that is the last horse you need to work with, but I don't, I don't, I don't get involved in that. They choose and it all works out. And um, I'm thinking, could you please choose biscuit? She's the snuggly little miniature horse, you know, that 
oh my God, but that's who I thought she needed, but she chose pistol. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. So we went and got him and I thought, here's how it's going to unfold. He's got a lot of energy. She's triggered. She's going to realize pretty quickly that that's not helpful. And that's fine. That That's also a good lesson for her too. Right. And he's safe. That horse, I raised him. I delivered him. He's out of my performance horse. Uh, you know, I'm like, whatever happens, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But I figured we'd go get him and she'd realize he's too much energy for what she needed. Then we put him away and we get another one. Mm-hmm. That's not how it worked out. Pistol had his own ideas. Mm-hmm. So we go catch him. We take him up to the round pen and he is like dog gentle. And that's my ADHD horse that uh-huh. he's a cow horse. What about this? What about that? And how about this? Right. How about that? Dog gentle, like took him up to the round pen. And he just stood there. She petted him and brushed him and he was totally focused on her and totally connected to her and her anxiety came down like immediately. So interesting. Had the most amazing session with him, the most chill. I've never seen that horse so chill and it was so unbelievably sweet and just exactly what she needed. And we got done and checked out. Of course, she's down to zero anxiety and in a really good place. And um, so I, I got done and I went and found my fiance. I'm like, honey, get the thermometer. You need to go check pistol. He is not right. <laughs> There's something wrong with him. Yeah. Go check his temperature. Like he's not well, you know. Right. And he did it. He comes back. He goes, why did he, pistol's fine. There's no temperature. Why did you think there was something wrong with him? And I told him, and we just looked at each other and just shook our heads. It's like, that is exactly what she needed. And he figured that out. That is so amazing. So, you know, you hear often in the horse world that, you know, if you're feeling emotional, if you're, if you've got anxiety or, you know, fill in the blanks, um, your horse will pick up on that and that you'll even transfer it, you know, and the horse possibly. So, um, I've had so many experiences though, where that isn't the case. And then sometimes where it is like, if, you know, if a horse is fearful, they need a leader that can, you know, that can help focus them. But in your experience, I mean, what, what, what happened there? Like, I know it's not explainable, but you've probably seen similar things. What do you, what do you think is, is going on? Well, Strangely enough, that's what she needed, but that that's not generally how it unfolds. Okay. Yeah. But, but it does with the, with the autistic, that's what it's so weird about it. So normally what would happen in a situation like that, like with my veterans, we go out in the pen to go catch the horse. And if they've got anxiety, that horse won't come near us once nothing to do with us. Okay. And until they get that anxiety under control, that horse is not interested in interacting. So generally what happens is we'll stand there with a halter in the pen. (laughs) The horse is doing his thing over there and he might, they might look at us, but it's like, uh, uh, I want not yet. Normally those horses, we will invite them to come over to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. If they don't, we respect that period. Right. But then I might say to the client, so what's, you know, what's going on? What do you think's going on? Why, why doesn't the horse want to come over? And for them, it's an awareness thing of them to go, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine. And you're like, are you really fine? What, what's the horse picking up on there? Um, or if the horse walks away, you know, it's like, what's going on? So until they kind of address it and sometimes they'll just go, Oh, on the way over here, some idiot cut me off. And, you know, I was had road rage and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then maybe we'll just take a couple of deep breaths and just kind of like be okay now, or, you know, something you want to process through, or maybe they want to talk about something and we'll do that. So I can tell by where that horse is, where their anxiety is, because as their anxiety comes down, that horse will move closer. And eventually fascinating that when they get that anxiety in a, in a reasonable place, depending on the horse, how sensitive they are, then they'll come over and join us when it's time. Really interesting. Yeah. So that's the usual reaction. So when she went out there, anxiety like that and pistol came right over. (laughs) Unusual. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, like you said that you were thinking like, if you chose one of the horses, it would have been Biscuit, which I love the names. The names are absolutely perfect. Um, Of course she chose Pistol. Um, And Pistol kind of took on the, what, what you were thinking she needed in Biscuit. Yeah. Right. So um, that's really, that's really interesting. So a typical, like, share with us a little bit about like, what, what is a typical therapy session? Like, I mean, I think you just described it with the a scenario you shared with the one with the anxiety. Um, so you typically bring them out to the round pen and. Well, so we'll go catch the horse in the pen um, in the beginning. So there's quite a bit that goes into the first couple sessions with the client. Now, keeping in mind that with trauma survivors, they don't ever feel safe. Right. There are there are very few places they feel safe. And for them, um, oftentimes they're in that triggered state or they're they have a lot of anxiety because they don't feel safe. Um, it, it's that hypervigilance, you know, that we see with the horses when they're not sure, you know, what's what's out there. They they share that, but with trauma clients, there's they might fake some things about you know, trying to be comfortable in a situation, but most times they're not feeling safe. So I spent a lot of time in the beginning with teaching them how to be safe around a horse. Mm-hmm. Most of that's done from outside the pen. So we'll watch the herd dynamics and watch. Most of the horses are paired up with another horse in a pen or like the minis, there's three minis and my old mare in that pen. And there's two little mares and a little gelding. And uh, there's a lot of dynamics that go on between them Mm -hmm. and we'll watch those and I will teach them how to read body language in as their way to keep themselves safe about reading that body language to see what the horses are saying to each other, to what they're going to say to us eventually Mm -hmm. with their body language, their ears, their facial expressions. So I teach them um, that horse body language and we spend quite a bit of time doing that. When they come to a place where they're comfortable and I say, there's no rush, there's no timeline. And with one client, we spent, well, with two of my autistic clients, we spent months outside the pen Mm -hmm. until they were comfortable with understanding what those horses were saying to each other and what all that body language meant before we ever went in the pen. Wow. When they get to a place where they're ready to interact with the horses then it's like you choose, but if you feel uncomfortable, say you need to say something, trust mm-hmm. your intuition. If you would get in there and you start to feel uncomfortable, just say so. And, and then I'll tell you what the options are. You know, we can go out of the pen. Mm-hmm. We can try it a different day. Um, we can step out of the pen and, or we could go get one. I'll, I'll go get one horse. We could start with one-on-one, you know, however they're comfortable. So I give them a lot of options, but also encourage them to speak up speak up if you're uncomfortable, speak up and trust that intuition. Mm -hmm. So they get to a place where they then become comfortable with saying, okay, now I'm ready to go in the pen. But let me tell you, amazing stuff generally happens outside of that pen. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'm just thinking about, you know, these life lessons that are happening, you know, in a, in a place that's completely different than their day-to-day experience. Um, So, you know, maybe it's not triggering things as much and you're really helping them feel safe. And then they're learning to, you know, speak up, Mm -hmm. say if they're uncomfortable, trust their intuition. Like, oh my gosh, that's really, that's amazing. I remember when we were chatting um, on the phone and you shared a story about a young woman who was nonverbal, who'd basically gone where she wasn't speaking anymore. Yeah. Is that a story? Is that a story you could share here? Yeah. So that's, um, I've actually had several of those and they're both, both autistic, wouldn't, wouldn't make eye contact, didn't want to talk. And that's the, we spent months outside of the pen. And fortunately my horses are all pretty active with each other. And of course there's pistol stories in there too. And so Uh We had Pistol and Cowboy together and Cowboy's our Kyger Mustang and those two grew up together. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of interaction that goes on between the two of them. And so this young woman um, 
what I would ask her, so what's cowboy saying to pistol? What's pistol saying to cowboy? And um, in the beginning, she, she wasn't speaking. And I'd say, well, I think pistol saying blah, blah, or I think cowboy saying blah, blah. And eventually she started to fill in those, those blanks and started a com- started having a conversation. Of course, it's mm-hmm. through the horses, right? right? So first she's talking for the horses back and forth, putting words to what was going on non-verbally. Right. But at the same time, what she was learning is how to read nonverbal body language, not only the horses, but at home with her dog. And she had a job, but she had a coach because Mm -hmm. they needed to bridge that. So pretty soon she starts speaking up to the coach, right? I need you to give me some space, right? Or please don't touch me. Wow. You know? The same things the horses were saying that pistol was saying to cowboy and cowboy was saying to pistol, get out of my space. You're too close. Don't touch me. Right. Uh, Don't put your nose on me. You know, those kinds of things. And so she started by talking for the horses and then ended up speaking for herself. And, and then she started doing some funny things. So we were, I was teaching her to breathe. Okay. When you, cause she would like hold her breath. Uh Like you do, you know, right. And I would encourage her to breathe, but she would also watch the horses do the as uh-huh. they relax, right? Uh-huh. And let that anxiety out. So she started doing that at work. <laughs> but explained what it was, was for her, it was a little different. When she would get a little stressed, she would do that, right? To relieve the stress, but it was also their indication that she was stressed. Right. But she found her own way um, to work that. And then somebody said to her, where did you learn that? Pistol taught that, taught me that. <laughs> How cool. But then, you know, it, it allowed her, um, it allowed her a, a language to communicate with that felt like that you taught her that she felt comfortable with. Um, and she had characters in her life now that she had, you know, connected with that she could tell stories. It's so, that's so wonderful. Um, so what, what if you, you know, you, you, you came into this, um, you know, quite accomplished with horses, you'd learned a different way with natural horsemanship. You'd learned, you know, the relationship had been successful with that. Now you're interacting with them in a, in a, in a similar way, but, but so different, you know, helping facilitate therapy with some really um, people that have had rough goes and nothing else is reaching them. Um, so w- what have you learned about horses through, through this? Um, that the, the journey continues. Like I learned something every single day and, and in a good way, but yeah. uh, to a whole different level uh, I mean, the whole natural horsemanship was to a whole different level than I had uh, ever imagined was out there. And working with clients with the horses is a whole nother level on top of that. I mean, it just takes it to a whole different level. I've seen stuff happen that I would never believed had I not seen it. And even when I tell people the stories, I mean, though, these were a couple of them, but there's one with pistol. I so wish I could have filmed it because there's just no way it happened, but it happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're capable of far more than we even begin to give them credit for. And even the relationship that I had with bunny, I mean, that whole um, competition or the whole thing at, at Pirelli at, at Pagosa, the thing I didn't mention was that, that whole, um, Thing that I did was bridalist and mm-hmm. and I've done a ton of stuff bridalist and that that is one hot cow horse mare I mean there mm-hmm. is the thing that made that work between us was the relationship and she could have at any point run off with me mm-hmm. you know not done what I had asked I mean it was this beautiful partnership that made it work but um 
this doing therapy with clients takes it to a whole nother level of those horses understand things far beyond um, what I could have imagined. I've learned more um, in my years of doing natural horsemanship. And of course, Charlie doesn't call it that, but Charlie's a whole different level, right? Whole different level, right? Uh, of of horsemanship. And I feel pretty blessed to have met him and mm -hmm. learned so much from him, even beyond um, those that call themselves natural horsemanship people. So there's even a progression beyond that with right. Charlie. Right. That is just a whole nother level. And, and, um, but also my love of just doing stuff on the ground and that's all with clients because there's mm -hmm. no riding involved. It's all groundwork. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I've had a, a whole career of riding competitively and I mean, I've ridden and done every event you can do horseback, you know, mm -hmm. and I still love the groundwork and the, yeah. the Liberty. And that's mostly what I do with clients is those horses have choices. If they want to interact great. And if they don't, we respect that. Right. And that's also a life lesson for people and not pushing things. Right. You know, and being respectful. Yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, if I've had several people um, in my journey that have been interested in starting a therapy program, either people that were interested, you know, they already um, had some skills with horses and then they were interested in the therapy side of it. But I've also been around some folks that have the therapy side of it and are kind of interested in horses or have loved horses and wanna bring them together, but maybe don't have a lot of experience with horses yet. So do you have any advice that you'd give someone that comes to you and says, hey, I wanna start, I wanna do what you're doing. I, I wanna start a therapy program. Yeah, so two, two things. I. Um... I'm happy to talk with people and share all of my experiences and all of my journey about how I got here uh, with anybody. So feel free to share my contact information because it's kind of a hard thing. When I first got started in this, nobody could really tell me how you make a living at it. All kinds of trainings and certifications that you can go through. And I've been through all of them. Mm -hmm. And Nobody could really tell me specifically how it is that you could make a living doing it. So I had to figure that out on my own. And I'm happy to share that. Um, there's two different ways to kind of get there. One, if you're a therapist that wants to do equine therapy, uh, there's a model and the training that allows that, that includes an equine specialist. So include someone that has horse experience and they partner and there's a way that you do that. And there's trainings available for that. Mm -hmm. Um, because I had extensive horse background, I don't need uh, an equine specialist. Um, a lot of controversy around that. A lot of uh, the models think I should have one anyway. Mm -hmm. But when I'm working with a, a herd of horses that I know well, um, that have all been trained in natural horsemanship, um, I mean, knock on wood, I've never even so much as had a, a client stepped on. Mm -hmm. But I spend a lot of time teaching a client how to read body language. Right. A lot of time mm -hmm. and to trust their intuition. If you feel uncomfortable, step away. Mm -hmm. It's amazing and incredible way to take that horse experience and help people. Mm -hmm. And especially those that some of the traditional methods haven't necessarily worked. Right. Some people talk about rescuing horses and doing work with clients. Uh, I don't have any rescue horses. I don't, because I work with so much trauma. Um, many of those rescue horses have had trauma and mm -hmm. I would advise against that because at some point that trauma is going to come out and that could cause an unsafe situation with the client. Right. Right. I have worked with, um, rescue horses and I've had some incredible stuff happen with clients, but part of the problem ends up being as a, a therapist, my focus is on the client and I can't be working a horse through their trauma at the same time you're working a client through their trauma. That's right. totally, that needs to be totally separate. Clinically, it's not appropriate to have to deal with the horse in a therapy session. So you end up with some really 
um, interesting lines. And so I just totally stay away from utilizing uh, rescue horses or a horse that's had any trauma in, in my work with clients who typically right. don't have any horse experience. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and some people have done it and, and, uh, that's, that's a decision that I, you know, that's their own decision. And it comes with its own, um, consequences potentially. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, you know, if, if someone has rescue horses and they want to do something with in bringing in other people, it needs to not be therapy for the people. It needs to be like, we're going to, we're going to learn about horses. We're going to help these horses. Whereas what you're doing is you're bringing in the people for the horses to help the people, yeah. but yeah. to bring two parties that need help and put them together. I, it makes total sense. And I would not have thought of that because there are a lot of, um, I actually know one locally who has rescue horses and is trying to do something with veterans. And it's, yeah. um, I, I don't know anything about how it's going, but I think that that's, um, similar to, I was just talking to someone who works with Mustangs and says, you know, how ironic it is that the majority of the people that adopt wild Mustangs are first time horse owners. Yeah. You know, you're, you're bringing two, right. Two things that yeah. don't, shouldn't go together together. So that's great. I think that's really helpful, um, that you're sharing that. Um, and, yeah, so and I'm happy to talk with anyone, uh, one-on-one -on -one about how to make it work. Right. And what things to be aware of. So um, how, how do people connect with you? Do you have? So I've got a Facebook page. Okay. My personal Facebook page. I've also got a wellness through horses Facebook page and okay. I've got central Oregon wellness ranch, but probably the best way to reach me is with my email address via email okay. or a phone call. Okay. But also at some point I'm going to be in a position where I can take on some interns it's important that I share this with the young people coming up and right. to be sure that we can have this ongoing, uh, we need to get some younger people involved. That's, that's great. And yeah. so the, the last thing I wanted to check with you is, you know, like the programs that you're doing with the veterans, you know, possibly this uh, developing program with the, the young folks um, that all takes funding. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there might be someone listening to this that was, you know, affected by your story. Is there, is there a place like, do you take donations? Yes. Through the nonprofit, the Central okay. Wellness Ranch. And I've got a family foundation that's funding some of our um, veteran programs right now. Um, and we do take private donations. Okay. Uh, what we're doing right now is working on a program to get Charlie here on the ranch to work with some of the veterans um, and oh, some of our staff as far as to get that. We have him so close here, it's ridiculous to not utilize him. Yes. And, um, and so that not only for the horses, but for the veterans and some of the staff, I've got a veteran peer mentor um, that I want Charlie to spend some more time with. We've done a little bit with him with that. Uh, and then I've got a couple of veteran volunteers who are an integral part of our program that I wanna get um, doing some training with Charlie. Um, that's a resource that we're not gonna have uh, forever. Right. With Charlie. Right. And he's such an amazing teacher and mentor yes. that um, we're working on getting him over here on a regular basis with our small groups of veterans, but also with some of our other volunteers to work with the horses and to pass that amazing knowledge along. Um, and, and it's good for the horses. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's really so, great. I do have a nonprofit. It's a, it'd be a tax deductible donation. Great. Um, and it could be used in any of our, any of our programs. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure people have uh, all the information uh, to be able to do that. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your stories and your own story. I mean, it's so amazing what you're doing and uh, yeah, I just, I really appreciate it. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me and I look forward to meeting you in person.
Yeah, that'll be great. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I could talk to Tammy for hours and listen to her stories. It's so inspiring to me. I hope you found it the same. If you would like to support the programs that Tammy has put together, there's a link in the notes of how you can do that. Make sure you follow or subscribe to this podcast so that you make sure to stay up to date with new episodes. And it also helps me to spread the word about the episodes to other people that could benefit from them. I'd also love for you to join me and a bunch of horse-loving, supportive people on our private Facebook group. It's a safe place to connect with others and support each other on our journey. You can find it by searching for A Learner's Journey on Facebook. That's all for today. I'm grateful that you're a part of this and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.